I will do that, Karen, and uh, thanks, everybody, for bearing with us today. Um, I I tromped around the uh, yard early this morning, happy to be a speck in the universe, and our yard is my is my uh, local park. It's important. Every place has an ecological significance, and the landscape had fallen into a white silence. I walked through the snow following in my own footsteps. The beautiful new snow is like a giant whiteboard in school. It had just been cleaned, and you could see tracks as though people were walking walking about it. Uh, blue jays and chickadees were vocal. Oh, I appreciate chickadees. I do more than appreciate them. I am their cheerleader, and I wonder if there's a sports team named the chickadees. If not, there should be. I investigate familiar tracks. I hear them called trash pandas, but I call them noisy raccoons because they woke me up in the middle of the night. I've seen a pair of cardinals at my feeder all winter. I enjoy their company. This day I saw only the male. I'm going to look harder for the female. I hope she still survives. Cardinal pairs might stay together throughout the winter, but the Cornell Lab of Ornithology found as many as 20% split up by nesting season. So I hope the local pair of redbirds had an amicable divorce, if that's the case. I was in Alaska before Thanksgiving and was entertained by the antics of Anna's hummingbirds in Haines. And they were still being seen in that fine city in January. This hummingbird either doesn't migrate or it migrates short distances to more desirable feeding areas. They are found wintering in the Pacific Northwest, the northernmost observation of Anna's hummingbirds in December, January, and February are those that are seen in Haines. Christopher Columbus wondered if Anna's hummingbirds were a cross between a bird and an insect, and they were sometimes called flybirds because of that. I saw a belted kingfisher not far from my home. It's a species that goes as far south as required to find needed resources. Uh, Scott Richardson of Austin, thanks for listening, man. I appreciate it. Tim Scott sent a thing, a couple from Erie, Pennsylvania. Had never seen a creature so wondrous as a half vermilion, half-top cardinal. Its colors split right down the middle. It first showed up a few weeks ago in their yard. They weren't sure if they saw it correctly until it came closer. The anomaly is known as a bilateral genandromorph. In plain language, half its body is male and the other half is female. Uh, you got a nice call, Karen, from uh, Don in Cannon Falls, a longtime listener. And his question was about possums. He said he's been feeding them cheap hot dogs every night they stop by. But it's been three to four weeks since he's seen them, ever since it started getting cold and snowy. He wants to know where they went, what's their usual habitat, do they hibernate, hide out, what is the possum lifestyle? Oh, Don, you know, it might be the cheap hot dogs. They might have gone somewhere that had a little better hot dogs, so that might have been the case. We see possums here in the winter, and actually this is their mating season. Their mating season is January through May sometime in there, and they'll have two litters of 6 to 20 young each year. And the young are not fully developed at birth. They're just tiny, tiny little guys. But they will eat almost anything, possums, uh, worms, snakes, insects, eggs, young birds, 
fruit, grain, garbage, remains of, well, carrion, and um, in hot dogs. And after eating, the possums will wash, if you watch them, much like a cat does. They just scrub themselves up really good. And, boy, where do they go when it's real, real nasty like this? Like many of us, if we don't have to go out, if they can get enough to eat, they will hunker down for a while. They do not hibernate. They just get into, oh, a den, oh, under some brush, maybe in a, a hole that they find somewhere, anywhere they can find. Uh, in brush piles are a wonderful place. At uh, On the farm, we see them under buildings. And that said, after they do that, they will travel great distances, particularly at night, to find food. Uh, so possums are, uh, they're pretty neat critters. I like them. They're called Virginia possums. Uh, some people call them opossums, which is probably more correct. They are related to the marsupials like you see in Australia and things. They're originally found only in southeastern U.S., but they have expanded west and north and uh, all the way into northern Minnesota. They're excellent climbers. As I watch them climb up my bird feeders here, they're about the size of a cat. I think I read once where one was up to 15 pounds, so they're pretty good size. So um, good luck with them. Uh, Don, thanks for listening. Maybe try a better hot dog and see if that helps. But they probably just found a, a nice place to hunker down for a while. Uh, Judith Knight sent me a video, and it's from Maine. The Wayne and Crystal Wellwood raise some animals, and in their chicken coop they have ducks and chickens. And a hawk attacked the hens. The family rooster defended its domain, and the resulting battle, which nearly killed both birds, was captured on the cell phone video by Crystal. The birds both survived, and the rooster has earned the name Cluck Norris. That's right, Cluck Norris. Again, if I'm attacked, folks, put your cell phone away and help me. It's nice she took a video of that, but I'm sure the rooster was saying the same thing. You know, come over here and help me. Greg Clossmore found a red-winged blackbird, or saw a red-winged blackbird perched on a branch near a feeder in his yard. Dave and Jean Matheny said, was astonished to see three eastern bluebirds, all males, in a hackberry tree in our front yard. Kathy Brown, I had a white-throated sparrow at my feeders last week during the bitter cold. Second year that I've had morning doves in the winter, again, only during extreme weather when birds are mobbing my feeders. John Beal of Medford said, hello, Al. Our daughter, Chris, sent this. There was a couple of photos and wonders what could have made this kind of tracks. I thought of you as I looked wondering the same thing. Maybe an owl dropped in on a rabbit and needed three departing wing beats to get back into a tree, maybe a hawk. If you have an opinion, we would sure appreciate your thoughts. Curiosity, like they say, killed the cat. Uh, thanks, John. Oh, these are those beautiful, like, angel wings in the snow that uh, sometimes we're lucky enough to see. And I can't say with certainty, but if I had to guess, and I do, I'd say it was an owl hunting. It looks as if it was success successful at least once because there's numerous wing. You can see where the little hole in the snow where it went after something and then some wing beats in the snow. Most likely a great horned owl catching a vole. It, it could be a barred owl, but uh, 
probably a gray horned owl. Uh, voles are potato, the potato chip of the prairie. They are like little sandwiches on legs as far as the raptors and fox and things are concerned. And great horned owls should be hooting now. So that's uh, what I'm going to go with on that one, John. Nels Thompson, who lives by Hope, has a rusty blackbird at his feeders. Uh, John Logering of St. James is seeing a varied thrush. Kimberly Emerson in Watnwan County also is seeing a Eurasian collared dove. Uh, Brian Smith of Sleepy Eye has spotted a Cooper's hawk. Chad Hines of Mankato saw a brown-headed cowbird. Mark Christensen, who listens from Columbia Heights, said, Al, just today I saw something you mentioned on your show. We visited Northtown Mall in Blaine. Many times I prefer to sit in our vehicle and read or watch people as my wife goes for necessities in the mall. It might have been a murmuration. There must have been two to 300 birds swirling. None of them knocked into each other. It was like a beautiful orchestrated and directed performance for my benefit. The choreography was brilliant. It would have, I would have paid money to see this, but this one was free. Yeah, Mark, the, yeah, Starlings. It's amazing, their murmuration. And uh, they came close enough to me one day that I heard all that whoosh of their wings. It was just incredible. One of the greatest experiences of my life, I think. And I know that sounds dumb because everybody says, starlings, really? It was amazing. Um, Bryce Gaudian sent some photos, uh, lovely photos of downed woodpeckers and cardinals. And Bryce said, thanks, Al. It is a joy of epic proportions for my wife and I to be stewards of the birds who choose to live on our farm. We do all we can to help provide for them at any given time. We have between 12 and 15 different varieties in our black walnut trees where we have black oil sunflower seeds and suet. And I spread organic corn on the ground. We have the cutest timber squirrel, too. Thanks for all you do to help inspire people to care for God's awesome creation. Well, thank you, Bryce. Rachel and David Schuer said, Hello, Al. I have a Robin question. Last week, while at the range during the blizzard, there was a robin. It looked healthy, but why was it here in minus 25 degrees below zero? Did it not leave, or did it have an argument down south of the family and flew back just to show them? We just found it strange. What would it eat during this harsh winter? Yeah, maybe it didn't have an argument with the family, but we do have robins that hang around here during the winter. They roll the dice and hope there will be enough berries for them to eat. So they're eating fruit and berries, and a lot of our ornamental things like high bush cranberries and hawthorns, and they also find hackberries. Uh, they are no, they are tough, and they are also nomadic, and they go where the food is. So you might see them for a couple of days, and then they'll be gone. I usually see more than one, so this guy would certainly have a story to tell. I got a note from the Raptor Center up at the University of Minnesota. It said, on January 19th, we had a female bald eagle come into our clinic from St. Cloud. She was observed instigating a fight with another female eagle near a nest and suffered several puncture wounds to her legs, chest, and tail base. On her left leg was a bird band from a previous human encounter. After checking our database, we learned that this feisty raptor was actually one we had treated five years earlier. She had come in as a two-year-old from Chitek, Wisconsin, 
With both a fractured right wing and leg from an unknown accident, her recovery involved two surgeries for the fractures along with five months of rehabilitation and reconditioning. She was then banded and released back to the wild in a public event in the fall of 2014. So they do get repeaters up there at the Raptor Center where they do uh, wonderful work. If you, They do offer tours, and I highly rec- recommend those. Uh, what causes deer to drop their antlers? Oh, I just uh, somebody texted me and said, uh, what is Smokey the Bear's middle name? And I'm so proud that I know the answer is the. So I just uh, I get so few of those right. I'm just happy when I get one. Uh, what causes deer to drop their antlers? Uh, it's diminishing daylight and falling hormones following the breeding season. And that's what initiates the antler weakening process. And testosterone controls the antler cycle, but production of testosterone and the annual antler cycle is ultimately controlled by photoperiod. Large antlered older bucks typically shed their antlers earlier than young small antlered bucks. So that's why sometimes we'll see those little spike spike bucks around uh, maybe having their antlers later. Uh, weakened bucks may shed earlier than those in better physical condition. And I'm sure their body is telling them, man, you're not doing very well. You know, you don't need to carry these antlers around because they're not doing you any good. So the body would probably help them shed it. Uh, genetics would certainly have some effect on the time of shedding. So if I know tame deer or deer that they have at deer farms, they say they will drop their antlers around the same time every year. The bucks will certainly differ at the time, but each buck will drop his around the same time. So there's a genetic quality that comes into that. Uh, How common are spider bites? Oh, you know, I always heard that growing up. My aunts would talk, oh, there's a spider bite. And I wanted to say that's a flea bite that's down around your ankles. But I wanted them to continue to feed me, so I didn't dare say that. I saw all those spiders. Um, spider bites are not very common unless you're a fly. Uh, most suspected spider bites are spite bites from other creatures such as fleas. Uh, spiders have no reason to bite us unless we're stepping on them or something. Uh, we're not food for them, and many spiders aren't capable of piercing human flesh. So even if they did want to bite us, they really can't. I had a great question from somebody the other day. We have a lot of cormorants around, not now, but in the summertime, uh, double-crested cormorants are the ones we have here primarily. And he said, I saw some of them, they were feeding in a river. And the river was just, it was flowing pretty good and it was so muddy. He said, how can they fish in those rivers? How can they see fish to catch them? That was a great question. The birds rely on vision to hunt in clear water. So we see them in the clear lakes. They go down, they catch a fish and come up. It's They're very good. They can swim really fast and catch fish. But in their sensory abilities are limited in turbid water, muddy, dirty water. 
And I suspect that somehow they're able to change from visual to tactile cues to maintain their forage efficiency. So maybe they follow another cormorant to begin with that maybe knows where the fish are. It's like fishermen. There's always that one guy that knows where the fish are biting. So they follow them, and if they bump into something, they try to eat it. I would think that would make for some very uncomfortable um, maybe with a turtle or something, but they are very good at doing what they do. And again, like so many of our wild creatures, they were built to do what they do, and they just excel at it. Uh, somebody asked, "Is do we have a national mammal? You know, in I want to say it was May, I know it was 2016, President Obama signed the National Bison Legacy Act into law which made the American bison the national mammal of the United States. Once 20 to 30 million bison roam North America because of unregulated shooting and habitat loss, that population had dropped to 1,091 by 1889. That's right, from 20 to 30 million to 1,091. But now, who's laughing now? They are our national mammal. I don't think any of us can claim that. So the bison is our national mammal, and, of course, we call it buffalo for the most part. So we have the, all these sports teams named the, the buffalo, although there are a number named the bison. I uh, hope you all come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. A special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. The weather had been like Charlie Brown's football. I couldn't kick about it. Then it turned, and it turned nasty. A friend called, said he'd been out and about on the stormy day. I asked him how driving conditions were as I needed to travel. Not too bad, he said in that Minnesotan way. Emboldened by his road report, I hit the road with a highway herd mentality. I had promises to keep. I didn't worry about cold rage. It was too darn cold for that. The weather wasn't not too bad. It, it was too bad. The road was icy and someone had whistled up a wind. Nothing was staying where the wind had put it. The rule is under such driving conditions that a driver should follow other vehicles at a safe distance of 15 miles. After my appointment, I bought some groceries. I pushed a shopping cart unequipped with snow tires and nearly became stuck in the snow. I don't know if anybody's ever become stuck in the snow with a shopping cart, but it's pretty humbling. As I walked past a giant SUV, my cell phone rang. I expected a work call, so I took it. I paused directly behind the big SUV. I could see there was no one in the vehicle, and the bulky SUV blocked some of the wind. And just as I greeted the caller, the SUV's engine fired up. A remote car starter gave me quite a start. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Uh, thanks for listening to me. And Karen, I cannot hear you, but it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate you any less. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and for supporting KMSU. I hope you have the very best of days. Goodbye.
All right. Thank you, Al Bat. Uh, via phone, sadly, uh, we weren't able, he wasn't able to hear us. We got some phone issues still and uh, trying to figure this out, but uh, always enjoy having Al. And, you know, the thing is, he can talk and I don't even have to say a thing and he's always got great stuff to share. So thank you, Al. We really appreciate you as well. It is 1032 and you are listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio. It's 26 degrees out. Feels like 16 and there's a light snow mist. They say that snow should continue through about 11 tw- uh, 15 so not a lot longer yet but 